Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Belly Adam. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, I got a question for you. Sure. What's up? <laughs> What's up? What's up? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Guys. I have, I have good news, and that's that the dream of the 90s is alive again. Uh, and in this episode, we are we are back uh, to talk about all that fun 90s stuff. Uh, we're not going to have a cow man. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. Uh, we're going to talk yes. about quote. The request was good stuff from the 90s that you haven't covered yet. I think we found some fun stuff uh, for this episode. So we're going to talk about my dude Bishop. We're going to talk about Maggot later. We're going to talk about we, my dude Maggot. Yeah. We got some Acolyte stuff today. I mean, we did find some cool 90s stuff. So uh, we, I like to think we went into the comics trenches, deep diving into those long boxes. <laughs> and we picked out. Issues that would very frequently be found in long boxes, yes. Yes, you could probably find most of these issues in your dollar box at the comic store, given the print runs. So, uh, who who made this request? Did we did we say that? Um, we didn't yet, but I'll do it right now. Tell uh, the who people. made this request for the people. Um, just so you know, Ben Yakas uh, said, "Guys, talk about some good X Men." comics from the 90s from the main series so that's what we did because there's a lot of x-men comics that are good from not the main series in the 90s and then the main series is actually um mixed to say the least <laughs> well um we're gonna start off with uh, a heck of a creative team here and uh this is uncanny x-men 287 to 290 which is uh basically covers after Enter the Void, when Bishop joins the X Men, um, yeah, there's there was a there was a trade paperback called Bishop's Crossing mm-hmm. uh, that went for a good chunk of X Men issues, uh, and it collects the the start of the Portasio stuff uh, through this through the end of the Portasio stuff through the end of the Portasio stuff, <laughs> and it's it's split into two halves one. Is the Fitzroy stuff at the beginning and Bishop shows up in the present. Then there is a weird thing where they go rescue Mikhail Rasputin from an alien dimension. Mm-hmm. And then Bishop joins the X-Men. Right. And for my money, this is the more fun part. Adam, I know you were reading around this time, but definitely were you were you reading were you picking these up off the off the stands, off those spinner racks? Um, weirdly enough, I was only reading the Jim Lee X-Men book. Um, I think I read the first couple issues of the Uncanny relaunch and, um, but I think I stopped right before Bishop got introduced. So, you know, I was aware of what was going on with the book, but I wasn't picking it up at the same time. 
Because that's my question, and I would love it if some of our readers uh, jumped onto uh, the Twitter thread where we post this or shoot us an email, giving us their experience of this whole gap between Bishop showing up and Bishop actually joining the X-Men. Was there, like, mystique or questions about who this Bishop guy is and if he was going to be a hero or a villain? Or did the marketing pretty much said Bishop's going to be a new X-Men character? Give us a second. I think it's the latter, especially because it's the latter. Yeah. Um, my first exposure to the character really was not in his first appearances at all. I, I got acquainted with the character when he popped up in X-Men volume two drawn by Jim right. Lee in that, and part there, where, in that part where he throws a pie at Gambit or no Gambit throws a pie at him. Right. And it's already the fully formed fanboy that we will see in this arc. So no, there was no mystique. Um, I think if anything, the, the mystique is around the uh, end of the X-Men, right? Because during this arc, we do get the scene where the um, Malcolm Randall and Bishop stumble onto the, the video recording of Jean Grey, which later turns out to be right. That the witness gives, you know, LeBeau, the witness Yep. who is, had they, they would have had to have revealed Gambit's last name at this point because the Thieves Guild arc was running almost concurrent with this. Yeah. And that's why the implication when you see Bishop interact with Gambit in X-Men, um, the other series is that Bishop assumes that this LeBeau is the same LeBeau as the witness makes yeah, perfect no, sense. Guys, guys, it is Gambit, except for they decided later that it wasn't <laughs> right. Right. Like end of the day, no matter what anyone says, it Gambit. <laughs> it definitely Gambit's was the traitor to the X-Men. Like that's the whole thing. And it's a, they decide for it to be a misdirect because spoiler alert onslaught was not well thought out no and then they had to figure out well what what bad thing did gambit do oh oh he was responsible for the mutant massacre that's <laughs> then, they, then they had to figure out a thing that they failed to do um ever since right after uh ever since the moment after onslaught ended which was what do we do with bishop now right <laughs> And they've never been able to square that circle because Bishop has a very clear objective here. He sure does. Um, Before we get any further, though, I do want to talk about the creative team here because this is at a very weird transition time for the book. So um, 287 is written, uh, plotted, and then written by Jim Lee and Scott Lobdell. So Jim is still involved but is penciled by John Romita Jr. and then inked by a bevy of people, including Bob Wyacek and Bill Sienkiewicz and Scott, Scott Williams, Williams Dan and Dan Panosian. And Christopher uh, and, Ivey as well. Yes. Well, we, so, we, we went with everyone else. I want to talk with that. Talk about that in just a second. Um, the second issue is we have John Byrne involved here, uh, Scott Lobdell, Jim Lee, and Will Sportaccio on writing credits, then penciled by Andy Kuber and inked by Bill Sienkiewicz which I also want to talk about. And then 289 and 290 are just Scott Lobdell, Will Sportaccio, and Scott Williams. So 
in no short order, I just want to say before we talk about the story that these issues are really interesting to think about just artistically. Because the combination of John Romita Jr., who typically works in a very blocky way, with someone like Scott uh, Williams, who is, you know, always associated with Jim Lee and does a much more refined inking style, is really interesting. And the same is true for mixing Andy Hubert, who's typically with Matt Green, with... I hope I'm getting his right name right. I always mix up Andy Kubert's general uh, anchor. But mixing him with uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, who does some inks around this time with Kubert, is really cool. Like, you can definitely see the, the, the styles clashing in a way that's really interesting and vibrant. No, it's... I really, really like, especially on these first two issues, some of the big artistic swings that they take here. Because it's weird and it's cool. Yeah. Absolutely wild seeing Scott Williams cross-hatching, mixing with J.R.J.R., who typically does sort of... I I don't know if you've noticed this, but J.R.J.R. has this thing where he will um, show different planes of objects and and corners of objects, even on faces, with uh, straight lines. So he will do... Not not cross-hatching... But and I realize I'm moving my hands despite the fact that our no, listeners but, can't but hear it's, us. It's it's different uh, tangent tangential lines or not tangential uh, perpendicular lines going right. off of the planes. Right. I guess and ta- I guess from a plane it's tangential. Yeah. So you might have like a bridge or it's parallel of a, to the plane. Now that I say that out loud. Yeah. So you might see the bridge of someone's nose with with like a, a variety of horizontal lines working down it to show, you know, the mass and the form of that object. And then to see Scott Williams come in and do his little quick triangular bursts, you know, and then later in the issue to see Sinkevich try and do like his scratchy kind of thing over top of it. It's just really cool to see a jam issue like that. It really is in. I think it's very interesting to see an inking jam issue Mm -hmm. when you have such different styles like this. Was it rushed? Probably (laughs) like end end of the day. uh, This was, this was uh, a time when everyone was a little rushed right now. I get it though. It is coming from JRJR who's a consummate professional. Yeah. There are two pages here that just straight up look like Scott Williams maybe drew over the very barest of, jrjr's layouts you well, know I mean, if, if, if you if you listen to burn and i think you should take everything jim Bur- john Byrne says with a big old grain of salt but in this case i think he's he, he's not talking about women so he's probably being truthful here in that he said he left the books because it was so unorganized and jim lee and will sportasio did not know a dang thing about planning out books something that jim lee at least would admit later in life oh sure you know, I'm sure Wills has too. I just don't, I've not read that interview. Yeah. I mean, these are young guys who are very art driven, who have, you know, some cool ideas for the books, but at the same time, you got to get these things out on a monthly basis. So, um, our first issue does pick up back where Bishop Malcolm and Randall have come to the past. Malcolm and Randall are killed, but then we also get this flashback that we talked about before with seeing Jean Grey, um at the moment that the x-men are betrayed we also get introduced to the witness which never really quite leads to anything unfortunately is labo <laughs> uh and the witness bishop is introduced as the new member of the x-men 
X-Men. Yeah, and what, what Bishop struggles with here is two things. Because one, Bishop is a cop, but he's not a he's not a traditional cop. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying that cops are good. I'm saying that Bishop is not writing parking tickets. Bishop is essentially a military militaristic police force that uh, was set up by mutants to patrol just exclusively mutants. Uh, for the idea of Xavier's dream of peaceful coexistence. Uh, now that I say it out loud, he does sound like a regular cop. A lot of this, actually. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I take back some of that. Uh, but he—he's a very—he's very much in like super cop, future soldier kind of mold than really law officer. All that uh, much. Absolutely. I mean, especially given that the criminals that he hunts down are pretty much exclusively serial killers, right? And he is. He is only being a cop against the worst possible people imaginable, <laughs> which right. probably a little bit of good old 1992 propaganda going on, but... His whole thing is, these are mass killers, and I'm going to shoot them in the face. And uh, we get one of these scenes. Uh, Bishop is just trying to get acquainted with New York City, and uh, Bishop gets into a fight with one of the remaining time-traveling supervillains. What's his guy's name? Stiglut. <laughs> Y'all know about Stiglut, right? Everybody's favorite. <laughs> Stiglut and his three appearances. Very similar to Mountjoy. Um, he is also sort of a like, I suck the energy out of other people. He doesn't take on their, their form, but that's his power set. Everybody's no, like He a... has the power to absorb life energy and channel it into blasts of destructive force, which might as well be the go-to villain power of 1992. Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, so Bishop's having some trouble adjusting to uh, the 90s. Because, because the X-Men don't kill. That's what Storm is very clear about. Storm, who last episode, as we were <laughs> we were uh, pretty clear about, did stab a woman in the heart without thinking about it. The so, X-Men don't kill. Colossus is also like, well, you know, sometimes we do. But, uh, you know, generally we're not a killer group, you know. <laughs> Bishop, we're you don't have to kill this guy. Like... We get it. We all understand. If you're in a bind, we're not going to judge you. Wolverine's our best friend. But don't go out of your way to kill these guys. Right. So and Bishop struggles with that because he's like, but they're really bad. <laughs> they murdered. Stiglut just murdered my two best friends, Malcolm and Randall. Can I kill him, please? <laughs> Pretty please. Pretty please. Uh, this this gets like cycled over and over again. We see this in uh, the the Shattershot annual. We we see this come back over and over again with Bishop. Um, I think they play it up again in Executioner's song. So, you know, that's the the back and forth with this character, quote unquote. What's more fun, I think, is in uh, once you start to get into the the Bishop as fanboy. You know, he gets introduced to Cyclops in the latter half of this arc. Uh, he is just completely starstruck. He's following Storm around kind of like a lost puppy. And um, we are also getting two other plot lines added in these last two issues. One is that Bobby and Opal Tanaka have uh, decided to... Bobby is going to introduce Opal to his uh, racist father and his uh, not-so-sympathetic um, mother. 
They are going to get... His mother is also racist. She's just quieter about it. Yes. We don't say these things out loud. Right. Uh, They are going to get attacked by the Cyber Eye, um, which is going to lead to Hero, uh, one of the Cyber Eye, trying to defend them and eventually killing himself and everybody else in a restaurant. The the Cyber Eye are nonsense. They are. They sure are. The the Cyber Eye are too silly for this very (laughs) silly plot. It's like, okay, yeah, we get it. We get it. We get it. They're freaking Blade Runner ninjas. Okay, that's fine. They don't look nearly as cool in this arc as they did in the original appearance either. They kind of just have some very vague gold-plated armor here, and they're like, this is an upgrade. I'm not so sure. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Uh, but we also we also get a plot point. Uh, Storm is, well, dealing with the fact that her, her long-term boyfriend, Forge, uh, is struggling uh, with their relationship and his place in it, and doesn't know what's going on. He's dealing with a prophecy that that destiny gave him before mystique, uh, or before destiny died and mystique shows up at the, uh, mansion. And he's like, Oh no, wait, destiny had a prophecy that me and mystique would fall in love, but I love storm and I don't know what to do. And he decides he's going to propose to storm and storm does the worst thing. Listen, I love storm. I feel like the last episode was a good symbolic gesture of we love Storm a lot. Absolutely. Storm does make a mistake by saying the worst thing, which was, which is nothing and I'll think about it to a proposal, (laughs) which is worse than no. In Storm's defense, okay, this is a relationship. Now, I want to compliment the fact that they even revisited this at all. I think a lot of things that happen after the uh, Mutant Genesis launch seem to ignore a lot of what happened in the Claremont era. So for them to go back and acknowledge the year that they spent together in this alternate dimension, right? If all the mutants, yes. Right? So that's kind of cool. But in Storm's defense, the way we see Forge act in especially the final issue of this is absolutely terrible. He oh, Forge has forges. this. The final thing in this arc is this monologue of Forge, basically like telling Storm that she is just this terrible person for acting heroic and always being committed to saving the world and not being but willing I, to just settle down with him. I don't want to be. I don't want to say in Forge's defense, but in Forge's defense. Please He's, tell me what you could possibly say. I don't know what you could say. I I think I think a more charitable reading of that scene is Forge coming to the realization that the X-Men are always going to be more important to Storm than any individual person. And that that's what her life is, but that's not the life he wants. Yes. Did he have to say it out loud? I don't know. What I will say. He doesn't go it, about the best way. I'll agree no, with you. It does make for an absolutely uh, heartbreaking final page when we see Storm collapse to her knees and say that she was going to say yes. Now, she's out of earshot of Forge, so he never hears this. But it because is... what happens, what happens, and this is important, mm-hmm. is that after, after Storm flies away, 
Forge is being sad and he sees Jean Grey and, you know, Storms talks to Jean about this and Forge has said, what's she going to say? And Jean has the worst look on her face and said, well, it's it's not my place to say. <laughs> and it's definitely a thing where if I'm Forge, I'm like, uh, crap. You're not helping, Gene. <laughs> this there's is some, making things worse. Yeah, there's some other stuff here with uh, Mystique. It's implied that she's like losing her mind. There's some other stuff with Warren here. This is just like chock full of stuff they're throwing at the wall. Um, it's weird I, that these four issues are not a lot of plot. It's no. a lot of character building, actually. Yes. yes. Especially I, with Bishop, but with mm-hmm. Storm and others as well. I honestly, I like it. I think it's fun. And um, let's try and rank this because we have ranked things that are directly around this. Or you're talking about ranking like that thing we do as we try and determine uh, the official forever ranking of every X-Men story of all time from best to worst, of which we have done 633 stories on our road to 700. Uh, The first story is the House of X, the powers of 10. The number hundredth best story is uh, X Men three fourteen early frost. The two hundredth story is Mercury falling from New X Men. Uh, three hundred is the Lovelorn arc of Uncanny X Men five hundred four to five hundred seven. That's from the Action Fraction era. Death of X is at four hundred. Uh, at number five hundred is the Fall of the Mutants from New Mutants, which is bad that has bird boy in it number 600 is ages of apocalypse and the draco's at the bottom uh where's into the void <laughs> all right into all right so uh bishop's crossing is down at 385 on our list and uh, into the void is above that at 360 and i think this is this better is, than into the void i think this is better than into the void so um looking up the list because i do enjoy these issues i think they're artistically interesting and i think there's a lot of like weird sort of i don't know there's a segue happening here between like where the books were and where they are going into you know further nonsense uh i I, have a i have a area that i think is accurate all right where are you thinking Oh yeah, I know. I know that number three hundred five right now, which is Uncanny X Men three hundred, is better than this. Okay, I can get behind that. I am curious. I think this is better than the Deadpool Axis arc. What I'm curious about is right around three hundred nine and three ten, which is Soul Possessions mm-hmm. and A Song of Mourning, A Cry of Joy, the Threnody story from X Men Volume Two. Um, I like this better than both of those, I think, especially because of the art. I think that's fair, but at like 307, we have the Nightcrawler versus Arcade story, which yeah. I think is better than this. I would agree. I would agree. But I also would put this ahead of at 308, um, Zeb Wells, Necrotia, The Return of Doug and the Hellions. So that would make it our new 308. That'll be our new 308. Uh, it's Bishop joins the X-Men. Nice. Uh... That was probably the most complicated of the stories that we've talked about today. Absolutely the most complicated <laughs> of the stories that we've talked about today. Uh, the next story is shorter and mm-hmm. much more straightforward. Yes. And um, uh, you remember, has you, a return of an artist. Um, it does. Adam, you remember the Age of Apocalypse, right? I sure do. 
you know how at the end of the Age of Apocalypse, a few things kind of slipped into our world? Like the Sugar Man or the X-Man. <laughs> Nate Gray that beep, 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 beep. It's the X-Man update. He comes back from Age of Apocalypse because he shoved a shard of the Macron crystal into the face hole of Apocalypse's son, Holocaust, who also comes into the regular universe, but he comes in space so close to Avalon. Well, these are interesting because this uh, this arc, which is X-Men, what? Uh, 42 to 44. 42 the to 44. fall of Avalon. Come directly after Age of Apocalypse and what is it? X-Men Prime? Alpha? X-Men what Prime. It? X-Men Prime. Okay, so yep. we did have that jam book relaunch uh, that sort of guided us into this era. But really, the books are kind of like, yeah, just catch up as you go, you know, with what the story is here. And what's really fascinating is that despite having um, an Andy Kubert, Matt Ryan, that's it, Matt Ryan, not Matt Green, Matthew Ryan, you have my apologies, uh, cover here. Um, we actually have Paul Smith doing the first two issues here. Yeah, you know Paul Smith from the good X-Men stuff. That is uh, fascinating. Um, we are also uh, we've got Fabian writing. Um, Friend of the show, Fabian Nicieza. Right now, here's what makes this interesting: is that I think I've talked in the past, actually pretty recently, about Paul Smith and how who inks him has a lot to do with the quality of your Paul Smith, right? And if you go and look on Paul Smith's uh, social media, you'll see absolutely gorgeous Paul Smith art that he's inking himself. But when he gets paired up with an inker that doesn't quite get his style, it can be a little bit limiting. And we noticed that in Judgment War when we ranked that long ago. Here, he's paired with Andy Kubert's inker, Matt Ryan, and the results are kind of flat. They are. It's, it's not bad. It's just not what you want it to be. Yeah, it's also not helped by the digital colors. Oh, the guys, this is, and the cover tells you it. The cover tells you everything you need to know. Colors were in a rough spot starting from this moment until... Until? <laughs> 2012, maybe? 2010? <laughs> when when did they stop do around 2010 they stopped doing the terrible gradients and they start to actually make colors be good oh yeah there's a lot of interesting photoshop experimentation and color separation and god knows we were learning else. how computers worked mm -hmm. and it took us 15 years yeah there's a lot of whoa that looks cool but maybe it didn't <laughs> just so, saying coloring coloring we're better at it now. That's correct. So uh, Exodus is leading the Acolytes now, right? And uh, yeah, they, have, they have discovered the mummified, uh, wrapped up remains of Holocaust floating through space. Not a good person to pick up onto your, uh, onto your spaceship. Yeah, for people who don't know, this is one of Apocalypse's horsemen from the Age of Apocalypse. And he's evil. He's mm. a... He's... A glowing skeleton that normally wears a containment suit because he's constantly spewing out radiation. Uh, 
but he's knocked out in space, and the acolytes are like, "Well, this is a mutant. We'll help him. We'll put him in Aww, our spaceship." That's nice. Well, that would be great, except for Rusty Collins, <laughs> who getting up from his sex bed with skids is talking about how man, do really really join another cult? Should we have joined this cult? <laughs> poor Rusty and Skids. No, poor Skids. Rusty got what he deserved. Poor Skids. Well, uh, he's not even the first person to get it here. The This poor guy, Milan, uh, who jacks into the internet via an Ethernet cable in his eyeball. He Oh, uh, you're talking about Francisco Milan? <laughs> he gets burned to death first. He does. And then Rusty, Rusty Collins does die. Javits dies in this arc. You remember Javits, right? There's uh, quite a bit of acolytes here, and uh, you really don't need to remember them all. Here's who you need to remember in this one. Um, Joanna Cargill. Right. Frenzy. Amanda Voigt. Yep. Colossus. Eh, he's an X-Men first. And Skids. You really don't even need to know Skids. It's just really funny that Skids is <laughs> But, uh... uh Avalon, the the Acolyte's base, gets uh, hecked up pretty bigly mm-hmm. um, after after uh, Holocaust absorbs the Fire Fist powers. Uh, everything's falling to Earth, and um, Amelia Voigt comes and says, Yo, X-Men, I need your help, and I don't like saying that. <laughs> so Scott and Jean immediately show up to help. Like, they say, yeah, mutants are in trouble, let's go. Well, hold on a sec. We have to acknowledge the fact that Amelia somehow, like, uses her fog powers. Keep in mind that Amelia Voigt's power is basically to turn into fog, right? She doesn't have teleportation powers. But somehow she's able to go from Avalon to the X-Mansion to ask for the help. And then somehow get Cyclops and Jean back up to the spaceship. But can't get everybody out? Well, worrying add but one moment to your life, Adam. <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's okay. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, so they get split up. Gene and Skids make it back to Earth thanks to Skids' force field powers, right? Yep. But and... the last issue is Cyclops guiding the remaining Acolytes through the outback of Australia where they're hoping to find Gateway from the Sylvester era to bring them back to the X-Mansion? Yeah, so Cyclops is like, okay, we're in Australia. I know that. Because I know what time it was, and it's the opposite time. And we're in a desert. So we're in Australia. That's good. And then he says, I think... Well, he doesn't say it, but his thought process is, I think around here is that base that I never went to that the X-Men said they had in Australia. Which I buy that Scott, Scott Summers immediately pulled up a map and memorized the coordinates. Like, it makes sense that he'd be like, oh, what luck. In this giant desert, we are very close to the one place I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. But what's interesting is you got Unision, mm-hmm. uh, who is kind of quiet in this issue because she's dealing with the fact that Scott pushed her to her limits to save everybody's life. And she's processing, like, I did, a like, a pretty cool and good thing. And I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, I think all the acolytes are reassessing. They're all yeah. kind of like, oh, now, now we forgot to point out that Colossus and the comatose Magneto ended up by 
the Magneto snow base that we saw in X-Men Unlimited one and then run into the cliffhangers. They run into uh, Callisto, who's in there in a spacesuit for some reason. It's weird. It it comes back up with the Gene Nation stuff later. Don't worry about that part. Right. Uh, but what, what I think is interesting is what Frenzy, Joanna Cargill, how her story develops in this. Because mm-hmm. she was one of the most established characters to join the Acolytes. Which is to say she had appeared once before (laughs) or twice, not much, but she, she essentially tells the client stocks who are being real dummies, y'all chill out. Don't be giving Cyclops a hard time. He literally just saved all of our lives. And I don't see you big idiots doing anything about that. So maybe let this mutant do his job for a second guys. And I really like how. I like that in just this scene, and then I like what it add or what Mike Carey adds to that later with, like it being a thing now that Frenzy like thinks Cyclops is good at things. Right. Yeah. The respect is uh, is started right here. That relationship. So uh, there's some cool stuff here. Now the third issue is not Paul Smith. We get back to Andy Kubert, and I think it makes the style makes a lot more sense with the story. Um, yeah, Kubert. Paul Smith was an artist for a very specific time. And mm-hmm. that time was far too short. Yeah, it's a little difficult to ask Paul Smith to do something bombastic like this, where it's basically all explosions, you know. Uh, and That's and... the thing. They get him for the big explosion part and not for the walking through the desert with character drama part. <laughs> Probably would have been good to reverse it, right? You flip-flop this. I bet we have a different conversation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It is cool to see him uh, draw... You know, especially like Colossus, the way he, he draws Colossus, just like classic, you know, it, it brings it all back. Um, but this is a mixed bag. Um, I think Fabian's writing is, a, you know, pretty good here for the era. It's fine. It's yeah. all it's all completely fine. Yeah. But the shoehorning of the Age of Apocalypse stuff into the 616, especially stuff like this that really doesn't need to be, um, is, is, I don't know. I don't like it so much. Was there a single good story that came from uh, Holocaust being in the 616? No. I would argue no. Not that I've read. He's a stupid character. He's not very good. He is going to be at least appearing in the Steve Orlando Marauders, which is interesting. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, Well, wait a minute. He is in Dark Angel Saga, right? I mean, I guess that's... Yeah, but all he does is... Well, okay... No, Adam, that is not Age of Apocalypse. Oh, Holocaust. right. Okay, forget I said that. That is You're that right. is the Holocaust that you remember. You remember uh, Pestilence from the Fall of the Mutants. Yep. The teenage girl that became Pestilence. Mm-hmm. Anyway, her and Apocalypse had a kid, and that kid became yeah. All right. Rick Remender doesn't always think through anything. But well, we have we have seen that so. I don't think this is as good as what we were just talking about with Uncanny, for sure. I don't think it's as good as that Uncanny story, but it's around the same thing. Like, I think it's better than The Trial of Gambit at 324, which is not too far below it. Um, I don't know if... I feel like I might go a little bit lower than that. Like, um, I think this is not as good as... Phalanx Covenant, Final Sanction, or at 337, the Axis Arc of Magneto? 
That's fair. Um, this is probably better than the first six issues of X-Men Evolution, though, right? Yeah. Like, I'm looking at 341, the Submergence of Japan arc from X-Men, uh, from Uncanny. I think this is, like, on par with that. Submergence of Japan's better. Yep. It's got Moses Magnum. All right, so this will be our new 342? It will be our new 342, The Fall of Avalon. All right. Now, for our third story, we are fast-forwarding in time a little bit. So those were a little bit closer together. Um, actually, actually, Adam. No, I'm wrong. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this because what you're... Seven. you well, know, I'm doing math. You know what you're... Yeah, you know what you're thinking, and in your mind, it makes sense because it feels like distinct eras. But in fact, Adam... Oh, it's not. No. This is closer to the fall of Avalon than yeah, fall of Avalon was to the Bishop's true. story. That's true, because it was three years apart, and now we're only two years apart. Yeah, we're talking about X-Men Volume 2, Number 70, Homecoming. Uh, this is the world's greatest comics, uh, X-Men. <laughs> uh, there are all new mutants in an all-different adventure featuring a deadly homecoming. Uh, this is following right up from the end of... Operation Zero Tolerance, following right up from the trial of Gambit. Um, And brother, is this a weird one? Well, we're getting all... This is the uh, big, splashy... uh, What would you say? Merging of what Joe Kelly had been building to with all of these individual characters. Well, no, no. Joe Kelly hadn't been building to it. Scott Lobdell had been building to it. Oh, that's true. No, you're right. Steven Steven Seagal was doing a little bit of like co-writing with Lobdell, but no, this is Lobdell leaves at the end of Zero Tolerance, and then they're like, "Ah, oh, dang, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta do something about this." So we do have uh, this cast of new characters, right? We have Maggot. Um, we have my boy, uh, Marrow. You know, I love Maggot. How many framed uh, pictures of Maggot do you think I have in this room? Let me guess five. One. Here we go. Two. It's counting. Three. Maybe I did too low. Is it only three? I have more than three. There's got to be some more in there. Hiding I under something. three framed pictures of Maggot in here? We got to work on that. Get you some I've gotta more. Work on, <laughs> I've got to work on that. I only have three framed pictures of Maggot in here. One of them is very large, to be fair. <laughs> uh one of them one of them is beautiful and large but yes uh so uh it's not just maggot we also have marrow and celia rays who are being guided around by Iceman, and right. we coming also, straight out of operation zero tolerance yes and we also have uh the return of you know your classic team so the cover is a riff on the giant size x-men cover you know sort of bursting through and we have a very weird story here because I am I mistaken? This comes right after they return from space, right? Yes, it's a mix of so they return from space to do Trial of Gambit, right? So that's that's uncanny. Okay, up to three fifty. Yeah. So Trish and Tilby is still hanging this, out with them, but Bishop's like has Trish been... Tilby. Bishop's lost in space. Right. Gambit has been left in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Joseph and Rogue are a thing now. Mm. Uh, and on the other... And Beast is with him. Uh, and on the other side of that... Oh, in Cannonball. Cannonball's also with him. Yes. On the other side of that, you have, from the Wolverine solo book, 
Wolverine, uh, Cyclops, and Jean, and Storm, like, dealing with the fact that, uh, oh no, Bastion put a bomb in Cyclops, and he's yeah. going to explode. Yes. And so, uh, this is a weird issue, because not only do you have these two teams... Uh, merging for the first time but you have cecilia rays trying to uh, do emergency surgery with wolverine bone claws on cyclops and who comes knocking on the door <laughs> oh look it's the juggernaut it's did your... you see what happened folks <laughs> what did you know it operation zero tolerance did uh strip the x-mansion down to the studs which is very funny which is why Cecilia Reyes has to do surgery with bone claws. Right. No Shi'ar hospital uh, inside the basement of the X mansion here. No anything. Yep. But she has to do she has to do surgery with the bone claws. Uh, Iceman has just brought these two weirdos to live with the X Men <laughs> with Cecilia and Mero, who hates everybody. Right. Mero, not a kind person. They have nothing. And then the Juggernaut shows up. He said, so, uh, Professor Xavier's not a thing anymore, so this is my house. <laughs> he says, I don't have to crush anything. I got a lawyer here. And he holds up the lawyer by his collar. He said, I met a lawyer friend, <laughs> and he says this house is mine by law, and I don't have to do anything illegal to get this very nice mansion that my brother let all of these weird people live in instead of me. Who he left to die in Vietnam, in Korea. Yep. I love the juggernaut stuff here. The fact that he's got the lawyer just kind of perched like a parrot on his shoulder is really funny. Um, now, now, of course... Carlos, Carlos Pacheco, the artist on this, sells it real good. <laughs> yes. I like the art. Uh, I think Pacheco does a good job. And um, obviously the juggernaut does not leave peacefully. Um, and they have to fight him. So he, you know, he puts on his, uh, his bands of Sidorak and there is a little bit of a tussle. They do manage to rescue Cyclops and this group of people now has to go, Oh, are we a team now? What are we doing? Okay. So I love how they rescue Cyclops because everyone shows up, like everyone shows up in waves. It starts out with Iceman's people. Like, he's like, listen, I have a whole mansion you guys can live in. Come to, oh no, there's nothing here. <laughs> Right. And then the emergency comes in with Cyclops about to explode. Mm -hmm. And then all the X-Men, then all the X-Men come back from space. Then the Juggernaut shows up. And Cecilia Reyes, who does not want to be here, is sitting here the whole time shaking like, I'm a doctor. I am trying to save this man's life. Can somebody be normal? Please, for one second. It's great. It's very good and what eventually happens is they find even if they can get the bomb out of cyclops it's going to immediately explode so maggot walks up with this swagger and this right here this is where i start to love maggot because he becomes a real character under joe kelly and so just like this weird guy that scott lobdell made up he's a true character and walks up he's like i got this <laughs> I got this. He says, Eenie, Meenie, do your thing. And he lets his slugs loose, and they eat the bomb, and one of them burps. And he's like, I'm Good so boy. cool. <laughs> I am the best. My name is Maggot. I have disgusting powers, and I am the coolest man to ever live. Oh, I love Maggot. 
It is uh, interesting it, how different he looks inside the issue than on the cover. He's got the the Chris Pachalo Joe Mad design. Yeah. Um On the inside, he's, big. he's just kind of normal sized. And then well, um, what, what Kelly and Pacheco do with this is they take Maggot and they say, okay, so big blue, like mean guy. Mm-hmm. What if he wasn't blue all the time? What if he was actually a scrawny little African kid and the slugs like power him up. Yeah. And that makes it all works so much more. Cause then you got this guy who's got all this machismo and it's unplaced because he's really just a young kid trying to figure out himself. Yeah. Like it works. I like it. The design works a lot better. Cause instead of having like, it gives the X-Men another visually black mutant, uh, where, you know, unfortunately, beyond Storm, a lot of them have had powers that make them look not black mm-hmm. uh, for years and years. So it gives it gives them that. Like, I am a maggot advocate, but I think I think he legitimately works in this one. Definitely, one hundred percent. He's a lot of fun. Uh, there's some drama here with Trish Tilby uh, that's sort of played off in the background, and uh, we're just kind of left on, hey, this is going to be a new era for the book. I, I like it. I think it's fun. It's lighthearted. Um, it's certainly not earth shattering, but, uh, you know, Oh, I forgot the other thing, the bone claws don't work. So marrow has to, um, break off a couple of not quite ready to go bones for Cecilia to use for the bomb. Um, it's, it's gross. And I like that there's a body horror aspect to this issue and these characters that, you know, I do wish they stuck around a little bit more and had more of a presence. Because the, this era with Kelly and, uh, Steve Siegel lasts for about nine months before they can it and say, let's bring back the classic team. Let's bring back. Nightcrawler and Kitty and Colossus. And I love those characters. I truly, truly do. But the book was doing something a little bit different Mm -hmm. in this era. And I'm very curious if you don't fall out of the... You you avoid the big doldrums of the late 90s, early 2000s. If this book doesn't stick around in the way that Kelly and Siegel want it to. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, so this is uh, a fun book. Uh, I think this is obviously better than Fall of Avalon at four thirty. I mean, three forty-two. I think it is. Um, I'm trying to think. Where do we have? Where do we have X Men seventy-five? Ooh, because is... that is Anatomy of a Monster. Uh-huh. That is at two ten. Okay. That is just a bit after that, and it is a big, like, jam issue, or big celebration issue with the Nagari and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, right from this era. What are you thinking? I don't know if we're that, I don't know if we're that high. I'm looking at 217, Madripoor Knights. Okay, what I'm I'm honestly thinking is, I think this is better than Anatomy of a Monster, but I'm kind of shocked where we ranked Anatomy of a Monster. Yeah, maybe we put... (laughs) Maybe that one, maybe that was a little up there. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, because I'm... Oh, yeah. There's some interesting things happening here. Adam, we make choices on this list. Yeah, like, how is Arms of the Octopus at 196? That was... Is it that Oh, because... 
No, Arms of the Octopus is actually very good. Yeah, it was good, isn't it? All right. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Arms of the Octopus does rule. Okay. Um, it's not as good as Power Pack 19, which is because no, it's coming to no, dinner. No, 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 um, I, I would say that this... How do you feel about compared to Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey at 239? I like this better. See, that's where... we're. I think this this area right here is stuff that we secretly do like a good amount. Yeah. But, like, don't know how to parse it, right? Because we've got the Road Trip era X-Force. Hey, hey, Adam. Spoilers for this week's comics, or last week's comics, whatever. Can you believe that there's a sequel to X-Force 71 to 74 on stands now? Pretty cool, right? Wild stuff. <laughs> uh because I, I, I think it's like right around there in Battle World Inferno and in World War X from Ultimates. Like this chunk is, I think, the right spot. Yeah, I would agree. Might put this above Power Pack Twenty at two twenty-five. Yeah, but below Orphans of X. From yes, All New Wolverine. Yeah, I think that might be a good place for it. This is our new 225, and not just because I think Maggot is the bee's deans. No, there's some really fun stuff happening here, and I agree with you that I wish this era had lasted a little bit longer, you know? Like, I get it. I get it. It's not what people wanted with the X-Men, but it's what I wanted, dang it. <laughs> God forbid anybody does important? anything different or new. All right, that was some really cool 90s stuff. That was fun to talk about. I want to thank Ben Yakas. Uh, ben, good job. If Thank you guys you. want to be like Ben, you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf, toss a couple of coins into our coffers, you know, deep dig down deep into your hearts and your pocketbooks, and say, fellas, talk about an X-Men story that I want you to talk about. Because we got... We continue to just have weird stories coming up mm-hmm. and weird concepts for episodes, and I'm all for it. Keep it coming, folks. This is great. Give us... Make us suffer. Make us understand that this is this is odd stuff that the X-Men have done, and we got to deal with it. We have made choices, and we need to deal with them. Our entire life is just choices <laughs> that we make, Adam. Hey, hey, what do you got going on? Um, not a lot right now. Uh, you guys can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Anything going on at Comics XF we need to hype up? Just normal we excellence. Continue, we we continue to have the normal comics comics x excellence awesome that you have come to know and love from us follow us on twitter maybe leave us a review on itunes um that'd be great whatever do, do you think do you think um what else oh next week next week we have and i quote forgotten episode of the classic claremont Ooh, tantalizing it is tantalizing. Until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!